On this week's Friday Fix... The global financial crisis was essentially about a housing bubble linked to reckless lending and some very clever investment bankers doing some things with credit default swaps. This time around at Silicon Valley Bank, it was about concentration risk. So they were lending too much money to one sector with liquidity. Hello, I'm Victoria Palmer-Moore, Managing Partner at PowerSchool. Welcome to this week's episode of the PowerSchool Friday Fix. Today, I'm joined by Andy Smith, head of our banking team, to talk about the tumultuous few weeks for the banking sector. Hello, Andy. Thanks for inviting me on, Victoria. Um, it's a really interesting topic. You were working at a major UK bank during the global financial crisis of 2008-2009. Are we heading into the same territory today? I was very confidently talking to a number of journalists over the weekend that Silicon Valley Bank um, was rescued, or actually wasn't rescued. The UK business was rescued. The US bid is still uh, up for grabs. Um, and I was talking to journalists and saying, no, I don't think it is. I think this is entirely separate. Um, I'm kind of revising that view a little bit now. Banking crises, uh, to paraphrase Tolstoy, are all uh, uniquely different in their own way. So if you're unhappy, you're unhappy in your own way. The global financial crisis was essentially about a housing bubble linked to reckless lending and uh, some very clever investment um, bankers doing some things with credit default swaps. Uh, this time around, actually, it's about, um, with Silicon Valley Bank, it was about uh, concentration risk. So they were lending too much money to one sector with liquidity. And um, with liquidity, the challenge is, can you get your money out of the bank quickly enough? The challenge with Silicon Valley Bank is, are there other Silicon Valley banks that have a similar issue that they faced, um, which will come out in the wash over the next few weeks? If we look at Credit Suisse, Credit Suisse was very different. Um, Credit Suisse is more about the confidence in the management and the ongoing scandals they faced, which of course you could say is isolated because it's specific to that organization. The issues they sent Silicon Valley Bank under were essentially rising interest rates and their use of bonds to help drive revenue in the bank previously. And the reason why that's important is as interest rates go up, you'll have a lot of depositors who might be seeking better value returns on their savings and uh, they may want to be moving their money. And actually Silicon Valley Bank had a lot of money in bonds and which they couldn't access quickly enough because of a fixed rate without taking big financial losses to allow people to move money if they want to quickly. One of the things that is interesting about banking is banking is actually a confidence trick. It is about making sure your depositors have confidence in you because any bank, doesn't matter how big it is, if enough depositors wanted to get their money out instantaneously, any bank would go under because banks don't actually have all of those savings ready for you to access immediately. You hear stories about periphery European banks during the sovereign debt crisis where customers who had, you know, maybe 200,000 euros would go to a bank branch and say, I want 200,000 euros to withdraw, please. And all they wanted to do was see that the bank branch had the 200,000 euros. And then they say, great, you've got it. I'll give it back to you. But that sort of confidence that you can go to your bank and get money out is the thing that failed with Silicon Valley Bank because people suddenly thought, I'm not necessarily going to get my money out. So I want to take it out quickly. So SBB was was a, you know, you could say an isolated instant. It was concentrated. It was in the tech sector. What about the Credit Suisse events, though, of this week and whether that that presages a similar issues within the large global banks? So I, th I think the Credit Suisse issue was, was driven by uh, confidence amongst their 
ultimately high net worth customers. So if you're a very affluent individual with money with Credit Suisse, you probably have money with, ironically, UBS, with JP Morgan, with a bunch of the other very large uh, international banks. Um, and the trigger event for Credit Suisse was actually the Saudi National Bank announcement about not investing any more into Credit Suisse and the language they used at that time. And that came off the back of the Harris Associates decision to sell down their entire stake in Credit Suisse. So you had these two announcements that the market saw and thought, well, actually, you know, we're not necessarily confident in in uh, Credit Suisse's management moving forward and their ability to run the firm in a, in a proper way. So the confidence in the management had gone in, at that moment. And, you know, the banks started to see outflows. They needed to raise more more money in the markets to shore up their balance sheet. And they were sort of on a one-way street from that moment on. Silicon Valley Bank also had a communications event at the start that caused the issue. And that was when they went to raise equity because they had this issue with the bonds that they were holding, which were, weren't worth as much money as they'd hoped because of the rising interest rate environment in the US. And that spooked depositors. They thought, actually, if they have this problem with some part of their balance sheet, do they have a bigger problem? And then that then provoked the run. So actually, the two events, the, both the banks were triggered by a comms event. Silicon Valley Bank was actually their own press release and an announcement, whereas I think Credit Suisse was more about the response of the Saudi National Bank to the request about they invest more in Credit Suisse moving forward. So they're both triggered by those events. So Credit Suisse is more isolated because it's about the management of its own bank. And actually, if you look at Credit Suisse, you know, it was obviously subsumed in what can only be described as a shotgun wedding with UBS over the weekend. And it's kind of a a good reminder of how ephemeral reputations can be um, if you don't look after them. I mean, Credit Suisse was obviously once an untouchable, you know, part of the Swiss banking world. And then the Saudi National Bank announcement happened, but it's not without precedent. Credit Suisse Sabre was itself um, partly due to another shotgun wedding, this time with the Swiss Banking Corporation back in the 1990s. So, you know, there was another organization, there was a trinity of banks at that time. And again, there was a shotgun wedding then. At the same time, US banking superpower Solomon Brothers was reeling from a crisis and that, that merged with Travelers and then with Citigroup. So, the important lesson here is that there are these organizations that have existed that you feel like they're very part of the fabric of the country and its economy, but some of them are just footnotes in history. So if you look at all of today's financial powerhouses and however strong they may appear to be, they're all prey to misfortune and you know you need to protect your reputation. You also uh, need to make sure that you're prepared for the bumps in the road that may occur. And you were saying earlier that it's about confidence as well in the system. Um, do you think the move um, from the Swiss regulator on the way it handled the AT1 issue for Credit Suisse will shake confidence in the, the Swiss banking system? Uh, I mean, it was certainly very controversial. You know, the idea that you know, AT1s should be lower down the people that are, are wiped out than equity holders was certainly very controversial. I suspect it was an entirely political decision, perhaps because of high-profile shareholders and uh, sorry, equity holders in, in Credit Suisse and UBS, and also perhaps in in you know retail shareholder base within within Switzerland that might have seen things wiped out. I'm speculating, but they may well be reasons why that decision was made. I mean, it certainly dramatically lowers you know the confidence maybe in the Swiss banking sector, maybe in the European banking sector about 81 issuance and you know where they stand in the in the stack, so to speak, in the event of these sort of crises. And it's possible that you know that decision will have a, a big impact for maybe Asian and American banks where. They haven't got this case study or this precedent of, of that sort of activity being acceptable. I mean, the thing that was interesting about both Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse was for many years when I was at the bank, 
we used to work on our recovery and resolution plans. They're very important documents. Every year you would go through them. And these were one of the things that came out of the global financial crisis, which I have seen bankers shortening to GFC as if we can forget the word crisis, uh, which reminds me of the way Kentucky Fried Chicken became KFC so we can forget the word fried. But if you go to your reco recovery resolution plan, this is a very orderly document that allows you to slowly you know, remove the risk from a bank and, and shrink it down and ultimately close it if you need to in a way that shouldn't create contagion and infection in the system. I guess the, la the lessons of the last two weeks says there is no such thing as an orderly bank crisis and there's no such way in which you can you know, resolve banks in a sensible way. And the things you would be doing, of course, is you would be perhaps selling loan books um, to protect capital or, or to, um, to protect the bank, or you would be increasing savings and depositors to help fund the bank. There were things you could be doing as part of the recovery and resolution program to allow the organized wind down of, of a bank. Um, certainly, uh, Silicon Valley Bank in the UK, US is still ongoing, and obviously Credit Suisse were shop and weddings done in the course of 24 hours, 48 hours, in which case, you know, uh, recovery resolution plans are, are null and void. And as communicators, um, how do you think uh, they, the, the two banks, communicated through this crisis? And especially, how has the financial media and the, the, the general media reaction been to what's been going on? I mean, I've heard anecdotally that the, the senior comms guys at Silicon Valley Bank, especially in the UK, were very well um, known by the media um, and appreciated as being great people are doing their job. And that obviously helped, you know, perhaps the, the UK business be better understood when I mean, there were relationships there. And obviously the senior communicators at Credit Suisse are all, you know, we've worked closely with them in the past. Um, they've all been, um, you know, exceptionally talented people. I think there is a, an old adage that you can't communicate your way out of something you behave your way into. So, you know, all communications outcomes are canary in the coal mine in these situations. So the, the fundamentals within those businesses were driving the challenges. Should Silicon Valley Bank have issued an announcement on the capital raise with the direct link to the bond issue that allowed people to go and look at it? Um, I mean, that's a debate for another day. I mean, you, you don't know what have, would have happened if they hadn't and whether that would have been appropriate to do for for shareholder value and all sorts of stuff. Credit Suisse, could they have handled the Saudi National Bank comment better? I think the Credit Suisse issue was more about the Archelagos and the green cell issues and the ongoing perception that they were linked to um, most of the, the big European banking scandals for the last couple of years. So I think that was more about the very high net worth individuals who of course can move money very quickly these days and have accounts with other multiple providers that you know everyone at that level is multi-bank they're not whatever a bank believes they won't just have the one relationship so i think that was more about confidence in the current credit suisse management and whether they could um, actually solve the issues that the bank faced and what sort of advice would you give now to your banking clients and uh, and and banks in general if you were had a seat at the table with the corporate affairs directors and the, the ex-co. Well, I guess the first thing is to make sure that as best you can, you, you understand the issues that the bank may face and that you're fully prepared for them. I don't think you need to think bigger than you and your organization. There was a great example last week where I was doing some research on whether you know global banking leaders were saying anything about Silicon Valley Bank um, and actually... The vast majority have said nothing, but Charlie Nunn, who's the CEO of Lloyds Banking Group in the UK, went on the record to say that that we haven't been seeing a slight a flight to quality. Now, what that means is, he says Lloyds Banking Group aren't seeing 
deposits move from smaller banks to them because depositors are worried about the viability of their smaller banks moving on. The truth is he may well be seeing that, but he's not going to tell the market. He's going to tell the market everything is calm. There's nothing to see here. That was very different in Germany where both the chairman and CEO of Deutsche Bank and Commerce Bank both went out and said, we are seeing a flight of quality. Now, if I was a small to medium-sized German bank, I'd be very annoyed at that because it's suggesting, obviously, that the two biggest banks in Germany are seeing depositors move from small banks to big banks. And that obviously can create the the, the challenge that you, you have straight away from, you know, the idea that, as I said, banking is a confidence trick. And, um, you know, if people lose the confidence in your ability to give them their money back, that can be terminal for any bank of any size. I do think there is also interesting things to think through these days about how a bank run happens. And I particularly remember a moment in a previous role, we had about 24 hours of a lot of media attention on would there be a bank run? And, and there wasn't, but it took uh, a lot of communications effort and it took everything up to and including the Prime Minister of the day, David Cameron, going on the record to say all the UK banks are safe. But there was one moment where Robert Peston said to me, because he was still doing business back in those days, you won't have a problem because you just have too many branches. So we won't get the image of the queue outside the branch. And the image of the queue outside the branch is the killer. That's the thing that makes people think, oh my God, everyone else has taken the money out. I better get down there and do the same thing. Uh, and Northern Rock had had a problem in 2007 because they only had four or five branches in central London. Now, of course, with bank, bank branch closures, there could be an issue. You could get the photo because there's less branches. But also I think you have to understand how these things work through social channels much more than through that sort of a traditional media channel. But I think, you know, anything that creates panic is what you'd have to think about as a communicator. So Silicon Valley Bank self-imposedly created panic with their announcement about needing to, to raise equity. Uh, panic was created amongst, well, there was loads of panic created, but the final straw, I guess, on the panic uh, front for the Credit Suisse high net worth um, customers was the uh, Saudi National Bank. Um, and then, you know, if you are running communications for a bank, you know, where are those moments that could create that panic and try to make sure you don't? It's, it's as simple as things like, again, I, I have been asked by clients, you know, should we communicate that um, we only have, you know, most of our deposits are protected by the financial services compensation scheme? The answer to that question is you shouldn't really, because, you know, you're putting doubt in your customers' minds. You know, you run a bank which has got a great balance sheet, really strong. You don't need to be reminding people of um, the fact that their deposits are protected in case something happens. Fantastic. Andy, it's been a very interesting week. Like you, um, glued to the screens and my news apps. Thank you so much for joining us and giving your insights. And we look forward to what will come next week. Thank you. There might be part two next week. Yeah. <laughs>